The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Good. Isn't that a great video earlier? Great. Well, my name is Katie Griffin, and I'm the pastor of Children's and Families and Missions Ministry here at Highlands Church. And as always, it is so good to be with you this morning. You know, I think I can officially say that I am done with my jet lag conditions now. (laughs) We had a 27-hour flight back from Africa. I slept maybe three hours of the 27 hours, and, um, but I've got to share with you one thing about my flight back. Uh, the in-flight movies were fantastic, <laughs> and so Colleen, Dan, and I were seated together during the last 19 and a half hour stretch from Dubai to LAX, and so we became these wonderful movie critics as we were flipping through the channels on the back of our seats, and uh, I, I just want to give you a warning or for your information. Watching a sad movie after you are on your way back from a missions trip and no sleep was probably not a good idea. <laughs> we were uncontrollably crying, like, oh, you want a drink? No, we're fine. You know, and so, but maybe it was just me or Chris. <laughs> it was a really, really good, we're, I, we are very glad to be home. I have many stories to share with you. And the one today I want to share with you is a moment that changed my life and gave me a whole new perspective on faith was our time as a team to when we went to Tairuo Children's Home in in Kadoma, Zimbabwe. So um, what I'm going to do is give you a little bit of our preview before our time at at the Tairuo Children's Home, the days leading up to that. So it'll help explain it a little bit more. So during the first day of our trip, which was Saturday, we toured the camp and the camp where we were staying, it was called Lasting Impressions, and it's the missionary family that you donated all those supplies to, and we did, went there to help them. And so they have 570 acres. And so the Bushmen, we had a, our own Bushman guide. His name was Alistair, and it was Al for short. That's what we called him, along with his wife, Shelly, and their three children, Michaela, Rachel, and Caleb. And so we had a fun time that day. We all climbed into the back of an S10 pickup, <laughs> a little one, and, and, and uh, we rode all over, and he explained to us all about the bush and everything and, like, what to do and what not to do. So it was a really good, good thing that first day. And then on Sunday, we had the opportunity, opportunity to head back to town. And so we headed back down to Kadoma. and Kadoma is about a 30 to 35-minute drive back from the bush back into the city. And so as we were driving down through town, I noticed that everyone was dressed in their finest clothing. And we kept, when we'd get closer to town, you see more and more and more people. And finally, I was like, oh, look at this. Men were wearing suits and ties. The women were already pretty much wearing dresses. And the kids were all in their, like, their best clothing. And I asked Shelly, what's going on? Why is this? And she replied, every Sunday... It is culturally proper out of respect to put on your best. It was truly amazing to see that everywhere we went that entire morning before we we got to Kodoma Baptist, that everybody was dressed up. And there's thousands of people everywhere. And so this was my first moment where I saw how incredible God moves throughout. Because these people have very little, but yet they were so honoring. 
And so I love that about them. And so we moved, we got our way to Kadoma Baptist, and we pulled into this dirt parking lot, and um, I was giving hugs to everybody. I'll tell you about that in a second. <laughs> and I was able to speak that morning at, a, at the church service, which I was completely honored to do. And I spoke on joy. And I shared a story about my experience so far in the bush, uh, sort of like an American's perspective. Because I had given them this scripture, laughter is a good medicine. And so I wanted to hit them laughing there at Kadoma Baptist. So I'm like, you guys want to hear about my experience so far in the bush? And these are all Zimbabweans. And they sure, yeah. Okay, so I was like, all right. So our first night there, I went to go get my flashlight. And just... For your information, in Africa, there's no street lights. There's no lighting whatsoever. We're up in the bush. And so when it's dark, it's dark. <laughs> it's really dark. And so I went to go get my flashlight. And we're, we stayed in tents. And then you had to walk down to the restroom facilities. And so I went to go get my flashlight. And it was dead. <laughs> oh, no. We have 17 days. And I have no flashlight. Uh, so I grabbed Colleen. I said, Colleen, you're going with me. It's just, uh, which was good anyway. So better to have two than one when you have wild animals roaming around. So we went down to the bathroom. We were on our way back. And I noticed far off in this bush, I'm not too far off because I could see it without contact. So anyways, I was looking and I'm like, there's ice in that bush. But I didn't say anything to Colleen, right? And I was getting closer and closer. And then I heard, and then I got close enough where I saw its color is black in color, this animal. And I yell out, Colleen, it's a jaguar. Run for your life. And I, and I running, running down this path, and there were seriously rocks in the way, and I like hurtled over the rocks, and then I, and I keep running, and then I hear laughter behind me, like dying laughter, and I'm like, what is going, and I make it to the front of the tent opening, I'm like, and Colleen yells out, Katie, you're such, it's not a jaguar, it's their dog Brutus, (laughs) so I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm almost dead, and so, and it was really funny too, because I actually ran past a group of Zimbabwe thatching people that were there, and they were like rolling on the ground. And so there's an American in a bush. So, <laughs> so they, there was so much fun to tell that story at Kadoma Baptist, because like you guys, they were dying laughing. They thought it was pretty fun. So um, church in Africa lasts a little bit longer than it does here in America. We would start, we started the service, and it was about six songs. And then after the six songs, then we did some sharing time, and then after sharing time, then they brought some, um, there was just um, a word, and then another thing, and, and then finally they said, okay, it's your time, Katie, and so I went up there and spoke, and then after I spoke, then and they did some more songs, I think it was about an hour and a half, or closer to two, we were done, and so we headed out the back of the church, and they said, you go first, and you know, and, but this time, Katie, you can't hug people, because <laughs> they saw me hugging people, they're like, it's culturally not cool, you know, or uh, uh, proper, culturally not proper, to hug people. So uh, you may um, shake the women's hand, and if they hug you, that's okay, but absolutely not for the males. And I was like, oh, that explains the parking lot thing. Okay, so, <laughs> so I go outside, and it is just amazing, this fellowship that they have with one another. And I started to realize that they don't have they don't have the ability to communicate like we do here in America. If we want to call someone, we just pick up our landline or now our cell phones and we just call someone. There's no landlines. There's cell phones. It was surprising to see cell phones there, but um, they were paid by as you go phones. And so, you know, making fifty cents a day, you don't really get 
a lot of airtime to talk. And so and then there's no, inter, the internet was really sketchy, and so there's no Facebook or anything. So what's important to them, so why everybody was dressed up going somewhere, they were all going to go to churches or gatherings because that's how they got their fellowship. You know, and that's how they talked with one another. So as soon as they would approach you, they would shake your hand, and they'd say, how's your family? And the next one was, how's your family? I'm like, this is fantastic. So well, like the third lady, she's like, how's your family? I was like, I don't know. I haven't seen them in a few days. But I'm just so excited you're asking me how my family is. How's your family? And then they would just go and tell you their whole family stories. It was incredible. I mean, I met this one lady who talked about her son was a rugby player. And uh, it was incredible. He actually went to Britain. And so she was telling me everything. And and later brought me homemade peanut butter. I mean, it's just the greatest time. So I really loved how they were so family-oriented. So throughout today's message, I was hoping what I'd like to do is share with you experiences from, our, from my journal. So while we were there, all the 11 of us on the team, we got these journals before we left. And we were to write every single day. That way, we could write down daily in moments, you know, what is really happening. And so as I was preparing this this week, I thought, well, I'm just going to share with you guys from here. So here it goes. This is called Journal Entry Sunday 8-5. Preaching day today. You should have saw me. My hair, well, no hair dryer, no curling iron. It's pulled back. Hilarious. My dress is a little too big, but appropriate for service. I feel very relaxed and excited to have the opportunity to share God's word in Africa. What? I put what in big <laughs> explanation marks. I still cannot believe it. God is so good to me all the time. He reaches to the end of the earth. His presence is ever so present in all places at all times. George, the elder, gave communion. I loved it because he spoke with authority and love. During the talk, I had to slow down when I was making references from the Bible because everybody was, slow down, Katie, we're trying to catch up with you because everybody had a Bible. And they were flipping as fast as they could. And just the sound of those pages I wrote here was just beautiful. And in the front row sat three young teenage girls, and they were listening to every single word. It was so awesome. End of journal entry for that day. And so after Sunday, we went on Monday back up, to, or Sunday we left and went back up to the camp, and Monday we started on projects at the house. And so our job was to put in the new sewer system. It was a dirty job, <laughs> but it was, it was much needed. And if you were here last Sunday, you got to see the video of us doing that sewer line. So um, that we started that, and then we, it took us a little a week or a week and a half or so to do that. And so that was for the missionary family and their staff housing also on the side. And so, um, that, and so the next day after Monday, after we had done our day working and digging ditches, on Tuesday, we traveled to Kariba. We woke up at, at 3.45 in the morning, and we started the six-hour drive. And again, if I can, I would like to share from you an excerpt from my daily journal, dated Tuesday, 8-7. All packed and squished into the cars for a six-hour drive. Along the drive, as the sun was rising, we drove through several towns. At once, I was hit and moved by the Holy Spirit. I felt my eyes could see the poverty and affliction all around. Everywhere I looked, there was fires burning. Women were walking to get water with jugs on their heads, and their infants strapped to them with only just a towel. Most of them had no shoes. I really find it hard to travel today. Through this is a group of Americans in our cushy Land Rovers with controlled air, going to spend time on a houseboat. 
Lord, I need your help today to process and understand all that is around me. End of the journal entry for that day. Now, I got to tell you something. At the top of my journal that morning, I had wrote in quotes, bring a wind. And I did not notice that writing until the day I sat down to write the sermon for you guys. And when I sat down to write the sermon, I looked up and I saw those quotes and I sat in awe of God. And you're probably wondering why, why was that so significant? Well, you see, when we arrived at the lake, we up at Kariba, we loaded up on the houseboat and we headed out onto this gigantic lake. There it is in the back. You couldn't even see it. it looked like a sea. It was very beautiful. And so the boat headed out of the harbor and then the wind began. And the wind began so fierce, there was white caps everywhere and swells, like I would say, about five to seven foot. And the boat began to rock back and forth. And the captain that was driving the boat, he, he was a local um, Zimbabwean, and he said, we're turning around. And we turned right back around because of the wind. And Al, our guide, our bushman, said that he had never seen wind before like that, what we were experiencing. You see, I think... God had other plans for our team. One of the national sayings in Zimbabwe is, make a plan. Well, I believe God was truly making a plan. And so we, I didn't tell you, we headed back out the next morning to try it again. We stayed the night on the boat, and we decided to head back out the next morning to try it again, and no good. Again, the white caps, big swells. And so we decided as a team, I think God has some other plans for us. Let's start heading back to camp. So we headed back to camp. But on the way back to camp, we decided to take a little detour. And so the Bushman said, it's only two hours out of the way. And we're like, okay, no problem. We're in the car for six hours. ah." (laughs) And so, um, and they don't have seatbelts. I probably should tell you. I mean, they have seatbelts. You don't have to wear them. And so, and and it's normal to put like 10 people in a four-passenger car. So that's what we're doing. So so anyways, we got to... um, to the state park, uh, and so it was called Rafia National Park, not a state park, Rafia National Park, where we were able to see African wildlife in their natural environment. They would actually put, if you want to stay the night there, you are put in cages and the animals roam free. So humans are caged, animals roam free. Got the idea? Okay. So we were, we were going along and we stopped at the first stop and Al gets really excited. I can't wait. And he was in the picture with his wife, Sally, there at Lake Kariba. And so he gets really excited. He's just like a bushman, just like the guys you see on TV, you know? And so he jumps out and, and there was a whole thing of um, elephants. There was a whole troop of elephants right there uh, against the water edge and some other animals. And so he's like, let's go see him. And I'm like, you know, it's probably all right. I'm going to view it from right here in this car, you know? <laughs> and he's like, get out. We're all getting out. We're all getting out. And so he taught us how to walk, how to step in the sand so we didn't make noises. And I'm thinking, okay, they're probably going to see us. We're 11 of us. But we're just walking. And Tiffany and I decided to grab hands together because we thought two would be better than one, you know, as looking bigger. <laughs> so we're, we're going like this. And we walk on down. And we get to see these elephants. It's amazing. They were eating on this huge tree and it was we were like is this real and then Al said hey Katie look down and I'm 
how, well, how come? And he goes, look down. And I looked down, and he put a circle around this print in the sand. It was a lion print. <laughs> and he goes, hey, lions are here. We should go find them. I'm like, I'm good. I'm really good. So, <laughs> so we get back into the, the um, cars, and we head out a little bit farther down. And, um, and then he jumps out again. Literally, he jumps out at each stop, pretty much. And so <laughs> he jumps out, and he goes, guys. There's a group of hippo right here, right off the river's edge. How about we all chase them into the water? <laughs> and us women in the car were like, is he a, okay, no. And then, and then he tells the other car. And so I got to show, we have a clip of it. So watch this clip of the men chasing the hippos. <laughs> Okay, this is so funny because he ran out of like steam. <laughs> so, the men were like this. The hippos were like from here to the back wall, right? And he, they're like, <sighs> and hippos are not like in their natural environment. You kind of don't mess with them, you know? And so one hippo, I will never forget, he turns around and he looks at the guys like, are you serious, you Americans? <laughs> and so Al, which you couldn't see at the end of this video, Al tells him, you guys, we got to get louder and, you know, and just create more noise. So they were like screaming, ah, they literally got, I can't even like within like eight feet of those hippos. And they finally just said, okay, fine. We'll go in the water. <laughs> and they just kind of like went in the water. So up on the, on the safety of our cars as a women, it was fun to watch the men, you know, <laughs> do their thing. <laughs> So now we all got back into the cars and we headed back to the camp. And we were there two days earlier than what we expected, which then gave us an opportunity to head to the Tyruo Children's Home. And to each of us on the team, God's plan was becoming clearer to each one of us. Tyruo means hope. And my friend recently told me this past week that hope is the confident expectation of things to come. And I believe that God has, that for Tyrubo Children's Home to mean hope, that is a perfect saying, for there is so much more to come for them. So on our first trip to the children's home, it was Peter, Tiffany, Francis, Carol, and myself. And we were able to go. The others had to remain back and work um, on the project. And so when we arrived at the orphanage, we were greeted as long-lost friends. The children rushed and crowded around our vehicle. They all had smiles, and they were so happy we were there. And so I would like to share with you another journal entry, and this one reads, 8-9 Thursday. The kids ran to the car. We were surrounded. We were not able to get out. They were so happy we were there. Immediately, I felt as if I'd been there my entire life. I began to play games with them. They wanted to have us take their pictures so that they could see themselves in the instant viewing because there's no mirrors. And they laughed. And then we played hand games, and I taught them what I knew. I was like, bubblegum, bubblegum, in a dish. And they they taught me a game called Pinocchio, and we laughed a lot. I met a girl named Esteban. We were instant friends. Our God is an awesome God. That's the end of my journal entry for that day. So I would like to share with you a little history about Tairuo before I go on and, and how it came to be. So the children originally living throughout the local hospitals. And Miss Mugama, um, she worked at the hospital. 
And so she noticed that these children were just roaming through the hospital. And so she began to ask around, why are all these children here? Why are they just roaming? They're sleeping in closets and different things. And the staff began to tell her that their parents had either had died or they were just dropped off and they had no one to go with. And so she said, well, something's got to be done. This is just not acceptable. And so she talked to the administrator of the hospital and she said, if I were to do something with these children, would you have a place for me to keep them all at? And, and, and they, several meetings went by, and they were able to give them one of these housing units at, in the staff barracks of the hospital. Now, you need to know that these barracks originally were used to quarantine patients that had highly infectious diseases. So they were not nice. They look pretty okay on the outside, but if you were to, when you walk through the front door, to the left is just a uh, little stove. The stove in the children's unit did not work. The, and then to the right, they had a, like, maybe, like, a little love seat that they had made. And then um, Kadoma Baptist had put some separation for uh, different rooms for them. And so now they had one bed. One bed was for the infants um, to nap during the day. And then in the back room is where all the other children laid. Now, there was 19 children in that home. And the other room was the maze where they kept their corn that they ate every day. And so, um, so they would go, and then, and then, so Miss Mugam, and they said, you may have one of these units. So Mr. and Mrs. Mugam said, great, we're going we're gonna to open up Tyruo's children's home. They took 19 children from the hospitals, and they brought them over to the home. But they um, brought them, now I have to tell you a little bit about Mr. and Mrs. Mugam. They both work full-time. They have full-time jobs. So they hire help in, to watch the kids during the day when they're out of school. Now, every kid that's school-aged goes to public school there. And they do have to pay for their schooling and their uniforms that they wear. And these two people, Mr. and Mrs. Mugam, are incredible, just incredible people. And they, uh, at night, they would take the babies home with them to sleep with them, but during the night, all the children stayed by themselves, and the older ones would look after the younger ones. And so that's how the day goes for them there. And each child, I believe, they really did have a story that was just amazing. And everyone from our team was able to connect with them in one way or another. I believe Peter was, uh, he was really, really great. Peter's the one up here doing the uh, music. He was amazing with the older boys. He taught them skills that they would need to go to. They wanted, there was a group, there's probably like four or five boys that were the ages of like 13 through 17. And they wanted to join their school soccer team, but they didn't have anybody to help them teach, coach them and stuff. So he did that for two days. He helped them, showed them how to get physically fit and do sit-ups and things like that. It was just great to see him working with them. And then Francis and Carol, they held the babies each day. And I'll tell you what, the power of touch is amazing. Tiffany, she worked in an orphanage in India for six months, so she felt right at home. Carolyn and Keith, they enjoyed playing games and holding the children, too. And as you can see, one of the things um, later is that Keith was giving them a uh, little candy that he had brought. So that was really fun. Colleen taught them the banana song, as we saw. <laughs> and Dan entertained them with his Donald Duck impressions, which after 17 days, I'll have to tell you, he's very good at. <laughs> 
And um, Sage brought another form of entertainment. He brought his iPhone along with him. And so the kids had never seen that. And so they were thrilled when he put the cars. I think he showed the movie Cars on his, on his phone, and they were all crammed around him. And Chris had this little guy as his shadow all day long. It was so good to see God working through each of our team members as they use their gifts and their talents, each unique, to love on the kids there at Tyruo Children's Home. And so the first day at the orphanage was over. As I left on Thursday, the little girl that I had met, actually she's 14, she said to me, she said, Esteban said, please come back tomorrow, Katie. And I didn't want to promise her. And so I said, I'm going to try so hard to come back here tomorrow. And so as Tiffany and I were riding home, we decided that if we had to ride on the bumper, we would <laughs> for the, to get back here the next day. And so we were able to take two cars down, and so the whole team was there on Friday. And here is another journal entry for Friday, 8:10. We worked in the morning on the sewer project, almost 95% complete. Now off to the orphanage. I loved my day. My good friend Esteban was there. She gave me a big hug when I arrived. Today, Esteban wanted to share her story with me. So she took me by the hand, and she introduced me to her sisters. She had a twin, Esther. Her younger sister was named Belief, and her baby sister was named Sally. She was so happy that I got to come back, and the same with the older girls. We, we did the games again for a while, and I even got to hold Esteban's baby sister, Sally. And I wrote here, okay, we need to adopt all these sisters. <laughs> their story is sad, though. Their dad went to work in South Africa, and their mom stayed home with the girls. The average age for a Zimbabwean people is 40 years of age, and they usually pass on. And so their uh, mom ended up getting a disease. Esteban did not remember the name of it, and she passed away. And so they began to look for her dad, their dad, that was down in South Africa, and they got news that he too had died. Now they were orphans. They did have a grandma, but she was really sick too and too poor to take care of them. Esther, Esteban, Belief, they all go to school, and they love school. Esther and Esteban dream of becoming doctors. Why? Because at first they were living in a hospital. Esteban said this to me. She said, I want people to know that we are going to care for them well. She asked me, what, what do you do in America, Katie? I told her I was a pastor, and then she's just, what? <laughs> she beamed, and she looked at me, and she said, I tell you what, if I were a preacher, I would tell everyone that Jesus loves them all. And so we have a video clip of her telling me this. Here's a clip of it. People? Uh-huh. Oh, she's gonna preach. You gonna preach? Yeah. And what are you gonna preach today? To love one another. You can't have Jesus without love. You can't have Jesus. You Love. 
it's hard to hear, but that was her saying it. That was amazing. So I go, we, we, her, Esteban and I continued walking after that. And I wanted to share with her one of my favorite verses from Joshua 1.5. So I told her this. I said, Esteban, in Joshua 1.5, the word says this, he promises never to leave you. And then at that moment, she stopped me and she said, just hold on. And she said, never forsake you. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, how did you know that? And she said this, I know this because it was my mom's favorite verse. She told us that all the time. And I wrote here in my journal entry, as sure as the sun rises, I can tell you that God is real. And he is actively seeking to show himself to each of us. Because at that moment, he, the God of the universe, spoke into Esteban's life with words of comfort from his word. I looked at Esteban and said, did you see what God just did? And she said, yes, with her eyes smiling back at me. God is with us. Esteban has her sisters and her faith and her memories. That is it. In this world, it might not seem like much, but in God's eyes, as I sat there looking at her, she had the greatest things in the entire world. Now, as I reflect back on the time at Tyruo Children's Home, I am moved by his love, his compassion for everyone, and that truly God is big. And one of my favorite quotes is this from St. Francis, and, it mean, and now the meaning of this quote is ever so meaningful to me, and it reads this, preach the gospel always, when necessary use words. I thought I was going to Africa to teach the gospel, to tell them of his stories. I didn't need to say words. The people there, they know the word better than me. They want to see Christ through compassion, mercy, justice, and love. You see, when we demonstrate these things, then we are the hands and feet to the gospel message. We will be transformed, and from that, lives will be transformed. Watching our team there over those 17 days, pouring out love into lives of complete strangers, was absolutely priceless. Now I'm going to end with the same promise that I told Esteban that day. It's a promise made to Joshua as he was about to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua was feeling, who me? Why me, Lord? Sort of like maybe all of us 11 before when we got that call in our life to go to Africa. Why me? <laughs> who me? And God said this to, that, to, to Joshua in 1.5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses... So I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Here in that verse, God makes some incredible promises. The first is that no one will be able to stand against Joshua. God was essentially telling Joshua, there is no enemy that will be able to defeat you. Every battle that you will face, Joshua, has already been won. What an amazing confidence booster for Joshua. He was young. <laughs> Joshua is told that battles are already won. All he needed to do was to follow and obey. So the first part of it tells us to follow and obey. And when we follow and obey God, the results are up to him. That takes all the pressure off of us. 
And the second part of the scripture tells us this, that God wants to have a dynamic personal relationship with his people. He was saying, I will be with you. I will be with you so close, Joshua, just like I was with Moses. Now, Joshua was aware of what, how close God was with Moses. Remember, if you remember back, Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. And when he, get, he spoke face to face with God, his passed right by. He came back down. He was shown, shining God's presence. That's a relationship. God wants that relationship with each one of us, with his people. And so how powerful for Joshua to hear that. I'm going to be as close to you, Joshua, as I was with Moses. And the third part of the scripture tells us that you are never alone. You're never alone. Esteban and her sisters and all 19 of those children are never alone. And they know it. Any challenge you are facing right now, I want you to know that God is with you. Finally, Joshua would never have to do that. Never have to face the enemy alone. He would never have to doubt again that God was with him. You never have to doubt. Those girls, they knew without a doubt, all the children there, that God was with them. Emmanuel. This was his promise to Joshua, and this is his promise to Esteban and her sisters and to each one of you here this morning. I promise you this because God promises you this. He will guide you. He will protect you. And he will never leave you. Or give up on you. Now I want to end in the words of my good friend Esteban until we see her again, which will hopefully be soon. She wanted to let you all know that Jesus loves you very much. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I'm just really speechless, yet I don't even know what to say. How amazing you are and how amazing you worked in the lives of each one of our team members there and how you change us forever and how you provide and that your word is true it's not just a bunch of words in a book it's a promise to each and every one of us here today that you will guide us you will instruct us you will carry us through the storms you will bring us home rejoicing Once again into these dorms, you will bring us home rejoicing at the wonders you have shown us. We praise you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.